0: Y'all, I'm super excited about this passage today. Like, incredible. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm just bubbling over. I love, 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 love Acts chapter 16. And so I'm really excited to be able to share it with you today. Um, but I know that it is not my words. It is the Lord speaking to us by his word and by his spirit that gives us any uh, in, any anything that we need. And so let's go back to him in prayer now and, and pray the Lord would would communicate with us through preaching. Lord, uh, preaching is kind of this weird thing. It's it's almost foolishness. In fact, the word calls it foolishness. And yet it is through the the foolishness and the, the silliness of proclaiming a word that you actually transform lives, that you awaken hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that that even now you would awaken our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who are going to be tempted to drift, that you would that you would recenter our hearts. Lord, bring our minds into a focus on your word. Lord, even now we pray for that focus. Lord, help us to, to, to not miss what you have to say to us today in your word. We pray and we ask in your mighty name. Amen. The question today is, how does God transform a city? And let me tell you, first of all, Gary can attest to this, I have been to a lot of meetings. I've been to a lot of meetings and I'm always showing up because I long for our community to change. I long for our city to change. And so I keep showing up at these meetings. But if we're honest, A lot of the meetings don't go anywhere. Anybody been to a meeting that didn't go anywhere? Almost everyone? Yes, everyone in here. Some of you are like, that's what school is, right? School is a meeting every day that doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, Well, get used to it because that's life, right? Life is full of meetings that we keep going. Why? Because we feel called to see something happen, to see something change. And so we keep showing up. And there's a lot of talk about education in Orangeburg and, and, and reforms that need to happen in education, and those are good. And, th- and there's a lot of talk about government and business and the amenities and the social aspects of our community that, that need to change. And that's all true and good, right? Those are all things that need to change. And there are a lot of well-meaning people that are doing a lot of good things in our community, but I want to point out to you that so often what we're focusing on are the external things. We tend to focus on the things that are on the outside and not on what will actually, on the inside, create change. And that is what God is in the business of doing. God is in the business of, 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 of not just focusing on the outside, and the external things. But God is in the business of focusing on the heart, focusing on the center, focusing on the the inside. How does God transform a city? Simple answer, from the inside out. How does God transform a city? From the inside out. Beginning today in this fall, we're starting a new series of messages on the book of Philippians. Four chapters. You can read it in 10 minutes, and I encourage you to do that. Open up Philippians this afternoon, read through the whole book. Uh, It's four chapters, very quick, very quick read. 10 minutes. All right. The title of this message is Be Encouraged. Why? Because when we want to see God move in our midst, it is so easy to get discouraged. It is so easy to to be like, I'm just tired of going to meetings. How many times have I told you that, Gary? Tired of going to meetings. (laughs) But you know what God wants to say to you this morning? Be encouraged. And the way that God is going to communicate to us his will for how to transform a city is through this letter that the apostle paul wrote to the church at philippi and and today uh, you're like well why are we in acts chapter 16 well that's because acts chapter 16 is the origin story of the church at philippi acts chapter 16 tells you how this community went from being completely uh com- completely un uh, evangelized unchurched to being one of what the Apostle Paul would call an example, a shining example for all of the other communities, all of the other churches, of what it means to really be a faithful church. That's, that's the church at Philippi. So there's this tall order, right? How did they get there? And, and it, Acts chapter 16 is the origin story. It's, it's, it's going to tell us how this happened, or at least how it began. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to read through most of Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin... Uh, in verse 6. And you have to uh, keep in mind the context, okay, before I even begin that. The context is the Apostle Paul went through this radical transformation. He was an enemy of God, and Christ met him uh, on the road to persecute Christians and transformed his life, broke into his life poured out his grace into the life of an undeserving dude uh, like the Apostle Paul. And then Paul began to be trained by the Lord himself, actually, began to be trained and was raised up and began to do outreach and, and, and began to go around planting churches and, and, and sharing the gospel in places they had never heard before, had never been before. And so this story picks up on his second uh, missionary journey. And so he's, he's, he's heading out, he's in his second missionary journey. That's the context of where we are. And so beginning at verse 6. For some reason I'm in John. Let me move over to, I'm like, that's not the right words. <laughs> Acts chapter 16. And they, who is they? Who do you think? Paul and Silas, and probably a group of disciples, right, who were traveling with Paul. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, if you could see a map, and some of you guys know geography, I know Robbie, my son, loves geography, and my dad, too, apparently. It must be genetic. Um, But if you would imagine that there is this body of water called the Aegean Sea, and it's separating Asia, the continent of Asia, from the continent of Europe. And so the gospel had never actually gone into Europe prior to to this. All of the evangelism, all of the churches were planted in Asia, or in Asia Minor, which is the lower part, modern-day Turkey. Okay? And so the, the, the gospel was going around to all of these cities in Asia. And Paul knew, he knew that God had called him to evangelize who? Not just the Jewish people, but who? The Gentiles, right? To go to the Gentiles. And so I, I feel like there was a little hesitation here. Paul is wanting to stay in Asia, right? And he was, he was having a hard time. I mean, it wasn't easy. But to go all the way across the Aegean Sea and into new territory, into Europe, where it wouldn't be, there wouldn't, he he wouldn't expect there to be as many friendly people uh, to this new message, this message that he was going to be telling. He's got to go across the the sea, the Aegean Sea, into Macedonia, which is part of Greece, part of the modern-day country of Greece. So let's pick up. That's, That's where he is, and so God gives him a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Could God be any clearer (laughs) what God wants him to do? Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come there. One who heard us was a a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, which is actually in Asia, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God the lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by paul and after she was baptized and her household as well she urged us saying if you have judged me faithful to the lord come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us you see normally paul would find a synagogue which is a, a gathering of jewish believers he would normally look for a synagogue, but in Philippi, across the river, across the Aegean Sea, there was no synagogue. Right there, there weren't there was no uh, believing people that he could immediately see. And so, what did he do? He, he heard there's a prayer meeting uh, down at the river. Let's go down by the river. I don't know if they were singing that, but they probably should have. And so. He goes down to the river and he meets these ladies who are praying together, worshiping God. And Paul begins to preach the gospel message to them. And Lydia, a businesswoman, a seller of purple, responds to the message of the gospel by believing. And then she immediately invites them into her home and says, Hey, I've been successful. I have a home. Y'all come stay with us. We have plenty of room. And so she invites them into her house. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, I love this, having become greatly annoyed. (laughs) What was his motive? He was annoyed, right? Okay. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, as all of us would have, right, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that is not even lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And a crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and and, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now and and go in peace. But Paul said to him, They beat us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, They were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and they apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them, politely, please leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Be encouraged be encouraged how does God transform a city how does God do it we're gonna we're gonna go back and sort of break down and we're gonna pull out five ways that God transforms a city and then and the first one should be obvious it's through prayer it's through prayer in verse 13, it says that on the Sabbath day, they went to the riverside, and when they, they supposed it was a place of prayer, and sure enough, there's women there, and what are they doing? They're praying. They're asking God to come. They're asking God to transform their lives. They're asking God to, to, to redeem their city, and what does God do? God sends a vision to Paul, who's stuck in Asia, and he says, Paul, get over to Macedonia. Come over to Europe. Europeans need Jesus too, Amen. Like, my people, right? We need Jesus. And so Paul comes across the Aegean Sea, he comes in and he meets them, and when he meets them, they had already been praying for him. Do y'all see that? God was already answering their prayers by sending Paul to them with this message of Jesus Christ who fulfilled all of the laws that we feel so bad that we can't keep them. Right? And so he came because they prayed, did you know that God wants to do things in this world but he wants to do it through prayer. And he has foreordained from even before time began that your prayers make a difference. That your prayers matter. That the youngest child who prays, their prayers matter. And God has made it so that things will not happen unless we pray. God has set that up so that we've got to pray. We've got to ask God to do something. Just like these women who were praying, God answered their prayer, sent Paul to them. And so every move of God, every transformation begins with what? Prayer. It begins with prayer. What were Paul and Silas doing when they got put in jail? They were praying, right? They were praying when Paul opens his letter to the Philippians. Next week, you're going to hear all about what Paul has been doing for the church at Philippi. What do you think he's been doing? Praying for them. Right, he's been praying for them. God wants us to pray. They prayed and God sent Paul. They prayed and God sent an earthquake. God transforms a city through prayer. Secondly, God transforms a city through preaching. Through preaching. Look at verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to start a new uh, camp, that God had called us to start a new school system, that God had called us to start a new business. No, God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now look, businesses and schools and all of these good things are an outworking of the heart issue. But in order to get to the heart, we got to preach to the heart. Right? We got to preach to the heart. We got to talk about sin. We got to talk about how we fall short of God's glory. We got to talk about how there's no way we can get to God without his mercy. We got to talk about there's no way that we can get to God without the sac- the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what preaching is. Preaching is declaring salvation through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 30. Uh, The jailer, he said, what must I do to be saved? And what did Paul say? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's preaching the gospel. Okay, that is as simple as it is. It's preaching the gospel. He said, you will be saved, you and your household. And it says they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They, it says that uh, Lydia, back in verse 14, look at verse 14. It says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So she was already open to the Lord, right? She was, and that's the thing. People who are open to the Lord, right? She's already a worshiper of God. The, but then it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And what was said by Paul? The gospel. right? The, the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is what the message was. And so the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. There's two kinds of preaching. Okay, there's two kinds of preaching. There's the outward preaching. That's what, that's what I'm called to do, outward preaching. And that's what you're called to do. If you want to think of it as sharing the gospel with others, verbally, we're all called to do that in our, in our own way. But there's a different kind of preaching. You know what it is? It's the preaching that the Holy Spirit does. It's an inward preaching. It's an inward preaching. Sometimes you might call it the inward call of God. And it's the inward call of God that's, that's being talked about in verse 14, where it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. And see, that comes by the work of the Spirit. You don't just decide to follow Jesus. God has to, uh, has to break into your stubborn sinful heart and mind he's got to break into it with his grace and his goodness and he sends his spirit out to to cause you to have a new heart remember what we talked about we talked about the heart of stone being turned into a heart of flesh that is that internal preaching that is what the Holy Spirit does so that when that's happening and you hear the external call you hear the outward preaching a light goes on and you're like oh so I don't have to earn my salvation? I don't have to, I don't have to like keep this long list of rules so that God will let me into heaven? No, you, you hear for the first time that it's by God's grace. It's a gift of God. And that is a work that God does in your heart first, like he did with Lydia, so that when that outward call came you could believe. That is amazing, that is preaching. And this gospel message was confirmed by outward signs and wonders. And as we read the book of Acts, we see the work of the apostles and how God gave them outward signs and wonders that would come alongside the preaching of the word. So that when Paul says to the demon, get out, the demon, that moment is gone. There is no hesitation. There is no sorcery. It is just a powerful word delivered by God's apostle. And what that does is it's a testament, testimony that what Paul was saying is true. You're going to believe somebody that and he's in prison, he's praying, and earthquake, the bars are broken, the chains are off. This is a miraculous moment, right? And it is a testimony to his preaching. It is a testimony that what he is saying is true. Signs and wonders testify that the word is true. And so we have today our New Testament, which came to us with signs and wonders. That's why it's written down. That's why we have a New Testament, y'all, because this word was delivered by the apostles to us, from Jesus Christ, delivered to us by the apostles. There are no apostles living today. There are none, because you had to be an eyewitness of Jesus, and no one's that old today. Okay, now there are people who are sent to plant churches. Sometimes they're called apostles with a lowercase a. That's what, that's what you hear when you hear about apostles today. But there's no apostles in this sense of having that authority to declare God's word and gospel. Does that make sense? Number one, God transforms a city through prayer. Number two, he transforms a city through preaching. Number three, he transforms a city through pain. Verse 20, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack and the magistrates tore the garments from them and gave orders to beat them with rods. God transforms a city through pain. And we, we get that. Right? Any of you guys work out? Or try to? <laughs> you, you, you don't experience growth when you're working out unless you experience some soreness, right? And some, some pain. So we, we understand that. That growth requires this, this pain is something Jesus told us that that when that When you go out into the world, they're going to reject you. They rejected Jesus. And so they're going to reject the messengers. Working out the gospel in community brings pain. Listen, the gospel came into conflict with the world values. What was the value in Philippi? It was profit right? They were abusing this woman, enslaving her, abusing her so-called gift, which was not a gift, it was a a, a, a a spirit, a spirit who was who was in her, giving her this power to foretell the future. She's a fortune teller but she's a slave, she's being abused, and she's not making the money, she's living in squalor. Who's making the money? Her masters are making the money, right? And so you have this system of uh, of, of, of destruction You have this system of abuse that's taking place. And when when the gospel comes and the Apostle Paul, I don't know that he was originally going to do that. It wasn't like part of his plan, right? But it was part of God's plan. Was to liberate this woman from her spirit. To free her from it. And what happened? It put him on a crash course with the powers that be in Philippi. It put him on a crash course with those who would say, We prefer profit over people. And let me tell you, if that is not the American way, there is no American way. The American way, from the beginning, was to crush human beings for the sake of profit. Can I preach? The the American way was not God and country. It was kill the natives, enslave the Africans, and benefit from it. Same thing was happening in Philippi. Same thing was happening in Philippi. And the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in with power to liberate captives. Right? And to set people free from their sin and from from even from the, the systemic sin that is at work in cities, and God wants to, to unravel that stuff. Right? As lives are changed, as people are changed to unravel the 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 the, the the sin that's in the community that we all are part of, because we're all sinners, right? So, no, no pointing fingers here. God transforms communities through pain. God transforms communities through pain. Now, look, you may not be punished directly for coming into conflict with the world's powers. You may. You may get canceled. You know, okay, that's not really getting beat with rods and thrown into prison, right? But you know what we are also called to? We are called to enter into the pain of others. We are called to, in gratitude for what God has done for us, to love our neighbor, to serve those who are downtrodden, to go and to help those. Like what did, what did the Macedonians say? Come over here and what? Help us. And that is what the church is for. To help people in need with food. That's why we do food boxes, right? It's to identify with the pain of others. And when you do that, you will, some of that pain will rub off on you. Some of the pain will rub off on you. You will experience the difficulty as you get close to pain. Loving your neighbor means discomfort, it means inconvenience, it means disappointment, it means going to lots of meetings that don't mean anything. God transforms a city through prayer, through preaching the gospel, through pain, and through praise. Look at verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? Singing hymns to God. They are in jail, they are beat and bruised, and they are lifting up whatever voice they have left to give praise to the Lord. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly in the praise, there was an earthquake. And suddenly in the praise, the, 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 the foundations were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. In the praise. Praise is lifting up the name of God. It's saying all all other foundations are shaky ground. Praise is is lifting up the name of Jesus. It's lifting up the name of God. It's saying how wonderful he is, meditating on how good he is. It's being thankful for what he's done in your life. It's being thankful for what he's done in other people's lives. Praise, y'all, praise is singing with your mouth. (laughs) It's not just putting on the iPods, and lis- putting on the ear pods, and listening to praise. It involves actually singing. And, and, and look, we have this big stage up here, and I know when we're up here singing, uh, it can be tempting to just kind of watch, but that's not praise. Praise is not watching someone else sing. Praise is joining in. Praise is singing along right? That's what praise. So I want to encourage us to, to praise. And I know we're in a gymnasium, and it's loud and rackety in here, okay? So it's not ideal. But, but Paul and Silas were not in a smoke-filled room with LED stage lights, with electric guitars soaring, right? Uh, they, they, they were not in that circumstance. They weren't in an ideal setting for praise, were they? No, they were in a prison with their legs fastened, and they're singing psalms to the Lord. That was their hymn book, Psalm 1 through 150. And they were singing hymns to God. They were praising his name, and everyone else was listening, including the jailer himself. God transforms a city through prayer, through preaching, through pain, through praise, and fifthly, through people. Look at the last verse here, verse 40. So they went out of the prison. I think it's interesting that the prison guard actually took them home that night, and then he took them back to the prison. It doesn't say that, but that's what happened. He, he took them home, uh, cleaned them up, got them fixed up, and then took them back to the prison. Probably put the chains back on them, right? That part's not in the story, but that's what happened, because here it says they went out of the prison because Paul made a big deal about, let's make this public, right? Let's make this public. Let's let, the, let's let the magistrates know that there's a God in heaven. And so they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia. Remember Lydia? The seller of purple down at the river? It was in her house that this church started. It was in her house, in her living room, if you will, that this church began to meet worship, for teaching, for encouragement, for prayer, to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It was in Lydia's house. And so they encouraged the brothers and departed. Y'all, I love the church plant at Philippi because it is a random core group of people. I mean, think about it. You got this outsider, a traveling businesswoman, single, possibly a widow, perhaps just a single woman, successful woman. Do you think she was accepted in society in those days? Maybe even less today? A successful businesswoman. You have a Former fortune teller, right? Who probably we can, we can probably assume joined in with this group of believers whose life was changed by Jesus. So you got a, a, a successful businesswoman, a, a fortune teller, a former uh, fortune teller, and you got a prison guard and his family, and Lydia's family. And this is the new church. Now look, if I'm reading books on how to start a church, I'm going to be looking for a charismatic leader, someone who can inspire people. I'm going to be looking for influential men in the community who can provide uh, the finances for the, for the church. I'm going to be looking for people who already know the word, who can teach and make disciples. Right? They had none of that at Philippi. They had none of that at Philippi. And this is the church that Paul holds up and says, this is the example. This is the example of what God wants his church to look like. This is the example of how a community is transformed through prayer, through preaching, through pain, through praise, and through people, ordinary transformed people like you and me. So what do we do? Just a couple of thoughts. We need to pray. We need to keep praying. We need to take prayer to the streets. Um, Take prayer to your dinner table. Pray with your kids. Pray Pray big prayers. Don't just pray for Aunt Susie and her recovery that she's been in for five years. Pray for Aunt Susie, but also pray for transformation in the community, right? Pray for the gospel to go out. Pray together. Pray at house church. When, I, when we're praying up here, pray with us. Join your hearts in prayer. Preaching. Pay attention to the word at church. Write down notes. Study the Bible yourself. Go through the comma method that we spent all summer talking about. Share the good news with your, with your people, with your household. Share the good news with your neighbors. You don't have to be a trained uh, preacher to share the good news of Jesus, right? What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. It's pretty simple, (laughs) it's pretty simple. So preach, pray, be willing to stand for truth and goodness, even if it means suffering rejection, even if it means pain and ridicule, Enter into the pain of others as you serve them, as you love them. Even at college, there's, there's students who are in great pain and they need a friend. They need someone to come and just, how you doing? Somebody to come and pray for them, right? God, open our eyes to the pain around us. And praise, lift up your voices, sing praise to the Lord, sing together as a family. Um, it doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be, you know, awesome. Sing together. Sing at worship. When you're, when you're here, together, sing. Sing praises to God. When we, when we get back into house churches next week, let's sing together. I mean, we should try, right? I think we could try. <laughs> we could try singing together. And lastly, look around. These are the people that God, this is the ragtag group of people <laughs> that God has called together to transform Orangeburg. Look around, seriously, look around. Take a minute, look around. We look a little bit like the church at Philippi, I think. I think we do. We look a little bit like that. And that's good news, y'all. That is good news because that means God can really do something with us. Because we don't think that we have anything to offer in ourselves. All we have to offer is our great King be encouraged. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you are doing in Orangeburg. Lord, we, we have been praying that for you to begin a good work, and Lord, we know you will carry it on to completion. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us the tools to, to pray, to preach, to experience pain, to, uh, to praise your name, and to, to be the people that you've gathered uh, to, to, to bring transformation to, your to this community. And Lord, we pray you will keep doing that, Lord. Keep us in the fight. Keep us in the battle. Lord, help us to be faithful and to continually trust in you for everything that we have. And we pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.